Lord sure has helped us this morning and um, been just a sweet spirit. I want to focus on the Lord this morning and I'm sure you could probably guess where you think I'm going to go. Um, and I'm sure maybe um, some of you have already turned to First uh, Corinthians chapter number 11 because um, I have been there too and naturally that's where you would go. Um, but that's not where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And uh, maybe you've never heard it preached out of this chapter. I don't know. Um, but uh, this is the Passover. This is the day of the Passover. And this is right before Christ is fixing to go to the cross. And uh, this is when... Only thing Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 is he quotes out of typically Luke and um, just quotes the verses that were mentioned there. And so um, I think it's Christmas morning and it's a beautiful Christmas morning. But I think for sure that being here on this day and representing what Christ did for us would be the best thing we could do this morning. And that's what the representation is. He said, this do as oft as, you, oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of him. It's, uh, it's not a memorial, okay? He's, uh, a memorial is for somebody who's dead. It's not a memorial. Um, but it is a remembrance, a remembrance of that. Uh, it's, it's made a change in our life. It's remarked our life by something. And so Mark chapter number 14 you don't have to stand. We're going to read uh, quite a few verses from verse 12 to verse number 26 and try to get what the Lord has for us this morning. Amen? Amen. The Bible says, In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them and they made ready the Passover. The Lord's really helped me with this and, and so I'm just trying to um, be focused on him this morning. And in the evening, his, he cometh with the twelve and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. That's what he said. And they began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. And the Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good work for that man if he had never been born. And um, as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it. And gave to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Merely I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day. And I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out. The Mount of Olives. Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, we ask you to help us. Lord, we need your help this morning. I ask you, Lord, in every way. Lord, to give us what we stand in need of this morning. Lord, I know we're in your spirit. And we cannot, Lord, we cannot in any way, shape, or form take for granted of that. Lord, please help us, Lord. Lord, please help us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God in any way. Lord, help us, God, to just uh, allow you to move in, in full course. 
Lord, you cannot, we cannot do anything without you, Lord. And we're thankful, God, for what this day represents. But, Lord, we're thankful for what this, these, uh, this passage represents in Scripture. We ask you to help us this morning. We'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Lord has led our hearts to what we call communion. What we call the Lord's Supper. Something along those lines. We can call it many different things. But in here it's called the last Passover. It's called the Passover. And this is our Lord's last supper before he goes to Calvary. It's the last thing that he's going to partake of before he goes to Calvary. Uh, and sheds his blood for the remission of our sins. This is the last thing that's going to take place. Okay, In the next, uh, in the next 24 hour period or 12 hour period. Uh, Christ is going to go to Gethsemane. He's going to go to Gabbatha. And he's going to go to Golgotha. And in that next time, that's where he's going to be before long. And then eventually he'll be in the grave. And so he didn't get to eat a gourmet meal at the end of his death. He didn't get to eat a big steak. He didn't get to eat anything along those lines. But rather he chose to use this time to show his disciples what was fixing to take place. And this is the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper. And this supper presents to us the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ as I've never seen in my life. And the Lord showed me this week. And I want to try to give it to you as the Lord has given it to me, if I can keep it. It presents grace to wicked sinners. And it tells us exactly to a T what is about to take place at Calvary. To a T. It tells us. And if we can get what the Lord wants for us this morning and from us this morning, if we can get those things, we can grow and we can understand why the Last Supper was significant then and why the Last Supper is significant this morning. You might have never heard it preached out of this passage. But we're going to see what the Lord would have for us this morning. I'm going to preach this morning on the Last Supper with the Lamb. The Last Supper with the Lamb i got to pray again. Lord, help us. Lord, I need your help so much. Lord, help me not to say anything that's out of your will. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. What you notice three points. I'll try to be done quickly, but I want to get it out to you. Number one, I want you to notice the arrangement for the meal. We can read here in verse 12 through verse number 16 that there was arrangements that took place concerning the meal that was about to take place. And so, uh, number one, they were very meaningful arrangements, okay? They were very meaningful arrangements. The Bible says, And the first day of unleavened bread, which they, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? They're coming to the Lord, and our text says that his disciples comes to Jesus... They want to know where he wanted them to observe the Passover meal. Where he wanted them to observe that meal. And the Passover was the most significant feast of the Jewish calendar, of the Jewish religion. It was the most popular, it was the most significant feast But little did they know that it was actually representing much more than they thought it was. And so uh, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse number 5 tells us uh, that in the 14th day of the first month uh, at even is the Lord's Passover. So at, at, at noontime, at noontime on the 14th day of April, it's supposed to take place then. That's when we typically represent Easter, by the way. But nonetheless, on that day is supposed to be the Passover. That is the Lord's Passover. And so the first month of the day of the the first month of their calendar, of course, the Jewish calendar, was what we know as April today. Uh, And the Passover was a feast that was designated to commemorate um, the night that God came through and passed over Israel. uh, 
in Exodus chapter number 12 and he passed through Israel when the death angel uh, was coming through and he was destroying the firstborn of Egypt uh, and during the last ten plagues that God was giving Israel uh, this was the last plague uh, and God gave them this plague and he said if you have not done the Passover uh, and you have not swept through when I come through uh, I will pass over you if the blood is on the door but if it be not on the door uh, you will die. So the Passover was also called, as we see, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and because no yeast or no leavened bread uh, was to be used or even kept in the house during the days of the Feast of the Passovers. So the layout for the Passover are found in Exodus chapter 12 in which I would like to read this morning to you if we very much could. And I'm trying to get exactly what the Lord has for me. Y'all pray. Uh, Exodus chapter number two, I mean, number 12, the Bible tells us uh, very clearly of the layout of this, of the layout and how Christ wanted it even in the Old Testament. And it says in verse number one, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. You see, that's telling us that's the beginning of the year. And it shall be the first month of the year to you. It tells us that very clearly. Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man, notice this, a lamb. Every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb. Shall be without blemish a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and ye shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall keep it, kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the door po- two posts and on the upper post of the house uh, wherein they shall eat. They shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So um, they were to come in, and every family in Israel was to take, uh, take place of the fallen, and they were to come in and they were to choose a lamb which was to be killed on the evening of the Passover uh, as we read in verse number 3 through 6 there and then they were to take the blood uh, of the lamb and they were to strike it on the doorpost uh, and they were to go in there on the lintel and the doorpost of their homes uh, and they were to uh, come in there and they were to roast the lamb uh, over a fire and eat it with bitter herbs uh, and unleavened bread. We see that in our text right? Uh, and that's what they were supposed to do and they were to eat uh, this meal dressed for a journey. You can read it on a little farther in verse number 11. Uh, they were to re- eat it. Let's see. Let's see what the Bible says. Uh, the Bible says and thus shall you eat it with your loins girt uh, um, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and ye shall eat in haste. Uh, it is the Lord's Passover. And so they were to do this uh, in haste. Uh, they were doing it dressed for the journey with their shoes on. Uh, their walking sticks in their hand uh, and they were to eat it as though they were in a hurry. Uh, and this is kind of how this meal would go. Uh, if you look in Jewish tradition and study any on Jewish tradition uh, you would soon find that they drink a red, cu- red cup of water Wine, uh, a red wine. Uh, they would drink that red wine mixed with a uh, water, uh, and they would drink that. Uh, and there were a c- ceremonial hand washing of hands before that, uh, um, to symbolize the need of spiritual uh, and uh, moral cleansing. Uh, and then they would go from that moment, and they ate the bitter herbs, uh, and that represents some some different things, bondage, and different things along those lines. And they drank a second uh, um, cup of wine after that. Uh, and uh, at which the time uh, the household, uh, the, the, the head of the household uh, explained the meaning of all the Passover, everything he would explain to them. Uh, you must see Samuel Freed do this. It's tremendous. Uh, I've seen it. It's tremendous. Uh, 
And then they would come uh, and they would sing the first two, uh, they would sing two psalms. And those psalms were typically uh, Psalms 113 and Psalms 114. Uh, and they would sing those psalms and then next the lamb would be brought into uh, and the head would distribute the pieces of that lamb uh, uh, with the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread was symbolizing haste. Uh, it was symbolizing something quickly. Uh, and there was no time to allow. Why is it unleavened? Uh, it was symbolizing quickness uh, because leavened bread takes a little while it rises unleavened bread don't rise uh, it does not rise and so uh, there was no time to allow the dough to rise before the journey would begin uh, because the death angel was coming in uh, they must do it in haste uh, and they drank then a third cup of wine uh, and then they would conclude the meeting by singing uh, um, Psalm chapter 115 through Psalm chapter 118 uh, and they would go through all that and this was the meal the disciples were asking about Uh, this was the meal that the disciples had in their mind uh, that was about to take place and orthodox Jews still still observe this day they still observe the feast of the Passover this day uh, they do it and it has been observed for thousands of years uh, but sadly, sadly they are oblivious uh, to the symbolic meaning that it has and I believe uh, it would do us well to stop here for just a moment uh, and talk about the Passover meal uh, and the symbols of it, the types of it uh, because it's a wonderful picture of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and listen to me for just a moment I'm trying to hurry, uh, I want you to know uh, um, that there is a simple feast uh, involved the lamb. Didn't the feast involve a lamb? The feast involved a lamb. Uh, we notice in verse 3, speaking in all the congregation of Israel in the tenth day, uh, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Uh, and so um, it was called for Israel to choose uh, a lamb. And this could have been any lamb at all. Uh, it could have been any lamb at all. And then it's called the lamb in verse number 4. Uh, um, this refers to the particular lamb that was chosen. Uh, uh, it had to be a lamb uh, that was without blemish and without spot. Uh, it had to be a perfect lamb uh, and they had to take this lamb in it had to be the lamb it's a specific lamb uh, and then it's called your lamb in verse number 5 and this makes it a personal meal you see where we're going here Uh, um, they were to select the lamb on the 10th day of the month Uh, is that right according to scripture they would have to do it on the 10th day of the month they would have to pick that lamb so that lamb was in their possession for how many days Four days that lamb was in their possession. Uh, um, they would grow an attachment to this lamb. Uh, and that would, they would develop that attachment between the family uh, and this little lamb. Uh, and that was intentional, I believe. God uh, God wanted them to see the high cost of sin. Uh, and He wanted them to understand that salvation is a very personal business. It took a lamb. It took the Lamb. Jesus Christ, friend, is not a Savior. He, uh, one amazing, he's not one among many Saviors. Uh, he is the Savior. Uh, and friend, I tell you, you better be able to say this morning uh, that He is your Savior. Uh, you better be able to say that. I hope He is this morning. Uh, and the Lamb uh, was also to be without blemish. Exodus 12 and verse number 5, Your Lamb shall be without blemish. Yeah, I mean, it had to be without blemish. This is a picture of the perfection uh, and purity. Uh, and this lamb speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ because he also uh, was without blemish. He was without blemish. He was perfect. He is the sinless Savior. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18, uh, the Bible says, But with the precious blood of Christ, uh, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, uh, he was perfect all the way there. Uh, and then we can read that the lamb uh, was to be slain and it was to, his blood was to be applied uh, um, to the doorpost of the house. Uh, and the family was to gather inside the house and eat the meal. Uh, and when the death angel passed through the land to kill all the firstborn children. Uh, um, Those who were in their homes uh, with blood on the doors would be safe. Uh, And friend, I tell you this morning, uh, are are everybody listening to me? Uh, Again, uh, it's a picture of Jesus Christ uh, when it comes to reality. uh, The only safe place uh, that anyone has against the almighty wrath of God uh, is in the blood. That's the only safe place. Uh, Friend, when one gets saved, uh, you must come to Jesus. 
Jesus by faith. And when you do, His blood cleanses every sin away. Hallelujah. It cleanses and washes every sin away. And His blood is the only shield against the wrath and the judgment of God. Romans 5 and verse 9, the Bible says, Much more than uh, being now justified by His blood, uh, we shall be saved uh, from wrath uh, through Him. Uh, it is the blood uh, um, that will save me. Uh, it's only the blood uh, that will cover me uh, from the wrath of the Almighty God. Because uh, when He sees the blood, uh, He'll pass over me. The Lamb had to be roasted with fire. And fire is a picture of judgment in Scripture, and we understand that. Uh, and we, it reminded uh, it reminded Israel that the judgment of God uh, was impending them, uh, and it was being poured out on sinful Egypt. Uh, and the only thing that prevented Israel from being judged, along with Egypt, was the blood of the Lamb. Who had died to save them. That's the only way. That's the only way. And friend I tell you the lamb had been judged in their place. And God accepted that. And this pictures the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Friend he was judged in our place. For the redeemed saints of God. He was judged in my place. The Bible tells us very very clearly. That he who knew no sin. Became sin for. Us uh, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Uh, friend, the lamb had to be eaten. Uh, the lamb had to be eaten there, and it did not go. Uh, um, it did not go good. Uh, um, go, it didn't. It did no good to simply just kill the lamb. Uh, it did no good to do anything like that. Uh, but the lamb had to be eaten. Uh, the lamb had to be received uh, by an individual. Uh, and I'm telling you, friend, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Uh, I'm telling you this morning uh, the same is true with Jesus Uh, his death on the cross uh, is absolutely meaningless uh, unless you accept what he did Uh, friend I tell you his death cannot save uh, you until you turn to him uh, and receive him into your life uh, and receive him into your heart Uh, I'm telling you it's the truth I can only get it out with as much as I have Uh, the Bible says uh, um, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, we must believe in him. That jailer over there that had Paul and Silas in the jails, they begin to sing hymns. Acts chapter 16, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved thine and thine house. And that's the scripture, friend. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He ain't doing the calling. We got to do the calling. The lamb was eaten and the lamb had to die. But if the lamb just died, it would have been in vain to cover them when the wrath of God came through. Friend, I pray you've received what he did. Much more could be said about the Passover and the Lamb there, but these few thoughts uh, simply remind us that salvation is not just an option, but it's a necessity. It's a necessity. Friend, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, you will face God in judgment someday. And if you're saved by His grace, you'll never face the awful wrath of God. Hallelujah. You'll never face His blood's covered you. His blood's covered you. Some religions don't like to talk about the blood. Uh, Some religions don't like it in these new Bibles. Want to take the blood out of the Bible. uh, And they make fun of us Baptists. uh, Your bloody religion uh, and that sort of stuff. But I just want to remind you uh, that you'll never gain salvation uh, apart from the blood. Uh, You'll never get it, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood. Uh, There is no remission for your sins. Uh, You may not like the blood, uh, but it is the blood that washes all sin away. Uh, The Bible says it cleanses us uh, from all iniquity. Uh, It is the blood. Uh, The Bible's a bloody book. Uh, Jesus shed all of His blood uh, for you. The uh, the songwriter said, uh, um, uh, What can wash away my sin? Uh, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, What can make me whole again? Uh, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the soul. That makes it white as snow. Uh, Friend, it is the blood. Uh, There is a fountain filled with blood. Uh, 
drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath the flood and lose all their guilty stains. What were guilty? The guiltless died for the guilty. Thank God, thank God that's what He did for me. And friend to the Jews, the Jews, these arrangements were meaningful. It meant something to them. It meant something to them. They were meticulous arrangements. Uh, They were very, very precise as Jesus told them. Uh, They were very clear on what He has. Uh, And He says there, uh, in response to their question, Jesus sent two of His disciples. uh, And He goes through uh, and to make those arrangements for the Passover. And from Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 22, we find those two disciples uh, are Peter and John. Uh, Those two disciples are Peter and John. uh, And according to Jewish law, only two men were allowed uh, um, to accompany a lamb for sacrifice. That's just how God wanted it in the law. That's just what it is. So we see in our text that Jesus tells them to enter the city and look for a man carrying a pitcher of water. And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, there shall you meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. He's to, to follow a, a man carrying a pitcher of water and they were to follow this man and he would lead them to a house where they would find, uh, they would find everything ready for the meal. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared there make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they were ready to the Passover. So they were ready to follow. They were, they were ready to follow. They were ready to go. A little odd, but Jesus had reasons for what he did. You know, I, I'm just going to give you this little tidbit. Not my notes. I don't, I don't know if this is exactly true, but I'm just going to give you this little tidbit. I believe the reason that Jesus did not Tell them. Jesus could have told the address, don't you believe? He could have told them what street to turn down. He could have told them he's better than any GPS we got. But I'm telling you, he could have told them the exact address of the place. But I believe the reason he didn't is because Judas was in the midst. Just a thought. Can't say it's true. Just a thought. But Judas is already... This This shows the omniscience of God, right? It shows that he knows, right? Here he is, he's telling them there's going to be a man with carrying water. There's going to be a guest chamber. There's going to be the goodman of the house is going to be there. And there's going to be a large upper room, and he's going to show you that large upper room. And that upper room is going to be prepared. See what I'm saying? He knows. He knew that Judas has already went there in verse number 10 and verse number 11. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they had heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Judas is seeking how he's going to betray him. And if Judas knew that they were going to the upper room, he would have never been able to give Judas another chance. Now you think about this. We'll get to it in a minute. That shows the mercy of God, friend. He would have never been able to give Judas another chance. But later on, you'll find he gives Judas another chance. It's the grace of God, friend. But he would have never been able to give Judas... It didn't mean that Jesus wasn't going to go to the cross. Understand that. Judas had already betrayed him. But nothing under this world besides the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Ghost uh, cannot be forgiven. Jesus sold Judas... Judas sold Jesus, excuse me. But Judas could have repented at that table. And Jesus would have still been sold. But Judas would have been forgiven. You see what I'm saying there? All I'm telling you is that they, God knows what He's doing here, uh, but He's telling them, and He wants them to come and prepare, uh, and He wanted them to use the Passover to teach them some valuable lessons uh, and some valuable truths that still speak to us today. But He would have never been able to do that, possibly, if Judas would have knew where they were going. It's, it's ironic. Men didn't carry water pitchers back then. Just letting you know, women did that. But there's a man carrying a water pitcher. And Peter and John are going to go get him. They're going to go follow him and use those instructions to get the arrangements 
finished. Man, it's a good thing we're obedient. Amen? It's a good thing we're obedient. They follow the Lord. The arrangements for the meal. Secondly, I want you to notice the actions at the meal. We'll read them in just a minute. Jesus and his men arrived to celebrate the Passover in some time between verse 17 and verse number 18. In the evening, he cometh with the twelve. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. One of you is going to betray me. And so he's sitting here and somewhere between verse 17 and verse number 18, uh, the things that which are in John chapter 13 are taking place. John chapter 13 tells us that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. There's a major foot washing that went on. We understand that. And in those verses, Jesus assumes the place of a servant and washes the feet of his disciples and he teaches them a lesson of humanity, of humility and he teaches them that true leaders are the ones in the business of serving others. And, but however, there's a few actions that take place here that we need to see. Notice with me. Everybody with me, right? There's an action of announcing from Christ. Verse number 18, And they sat and did eat. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which eateth with me shall betray me. After Jesus, is, Jesus washes the feet of the disciples, He tells them some big news. He announces to them that one of their number is going to betray Him in the hands of of the Jews. We know, we know it to be Judas Iscariot. We understand that. But Jesus makes that announcement very clear right here. And then there's an action not only of announcing, but there's an action of awing from the crowd. There's from Christ and there's from the crowd. Verse number 19, and they began to be sorrowful. And saying to one of by one, is it I? Another said, is it I? Now, when the disciples, you see where it says, and another said? Matthew's gospel tells us in chapter 26, verse 20, that's Judas. And Judas said to him, is it I, Lord? Master, he said, Master. Never would call him Lord, but Master, is it I? Master, is it I? And so when we see the disciples here that one of their group is a traitor uh, and he's about to betray the Lord, uh, they're filled with uh, astonishment. They're filled with amazement and awe. And they begin to look uh, at Jesus and say, Is it I? And even Judas, knowing exactly what he was about to do, said, Master, is it I? Then there's an action not only of announcement and awing, but there's an action of appeal from the crowd. Now, now notice this. And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. Son of man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for him, for that man, if he had never been born. Some harsh scripture, friend. Just listen to me for a minute. I'm trying to free. This is really an act of mercy, friend. It's an act of mercy. Jesus uses this opportunity to try and reach Judas one more time. In John chapter 13, we're told that Jesus identified the traitor to John by giving Judas the sop. Understand that. John chapter 13, John's the only one that tells us that. As John was laying on his breast, on the bosom of the Lord, as he was laying there, he said, the one I give this sob, that's the one that's going to betray me. Only John knew that. It's amazing. But if you'll study, you'll find the sop was a piece of bread which was dipped into a fruit mixture what we know kind of commonly of jam, jelly, whatever. And to be handed the sop by one's host at a meal was the ultimate form of respect and love. It was the ultimate form of respect and the form of love. And get this picture in your mind. Just, just, just get it in your mind. A lot of what we believe about the Last Supper has been taught by a famous painter. Remember that painting we used to have? 
you know, they, they sit there and on that table, there's a big long table and all of them are spread out there in chairs. And, but I tell you, that was, that was not how they observed the Passover. Look in Jewish culture. That was not how they observed the Passover. That picture is dead wrong and it caused much confusion, really. How is Jesus going to hand the sop to Judas if he's on the other end of the table? Just think about it. Nonetheless, from what I have read, they would recline on pillows around the low table and typically... They would lay down with their heads near the table and their left hand under their face with their right hand reaching on the table. You can fit a lot of people in a small table, by the way, down there. Because they're laying tight to each other. And they would, their left hand would go and cradle their head and their right hand would be used to eat. And one writer said it this way. It's interesting to notice that while John could have leaned back and rested on the Lord, Jesus could have leaned back and rested his head on Judas. Judas was as close to Jesus as John was. But Judas was lost. Judas was just as close to John was. That's the only way he could have given him that. Because think about it. Only John knew. Everybody catching that, right? Only John knew. And Jesus, he had to be close to Jesus. And he had to be close to John. It's really mercy for him. Jesus issues a call to Judas to turn from his wicked plan. And Judas is given a chance to repent of his sins. All he had to do was renounce his sin and embrace Jesus and all would be forgiven. That's all he had to do. Jesus would have still gone to the cross. But Judas would have went to heaven. Judas could have been saved. Think about it. Judas refused and he let his plan carry out. And when he did, he condemned his own soul to hell. You, you, you know the times where it feels like the preacher, man, that preacher's just talking about me. Remember those times? That preacher's only talking about me. I, I mean, I'm, there's been many people leave here mad at me. The preacher's just talking about me. I'm not. Tell you the truth, I'm law. I was lost. Now I'm found. Simple. It's not that I'm just talking about you. I'm just telling you this morning that we have in Scripture, Judas, Jesus called Judas out. Clear. And he literally had, Jesus was just talking about Judas. You agree with that? And Judas never come up to him and said, man, you were just talking about me. But Judas rejected him. Judas rejected him. And notice the Lord's word in verse 21. He said, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Judas would have been better off to have never lived than to have lived and died lost. The same is true. For every person who draws breath in this world and live this life without Christ and die lost. Jesus said you'd be far better to never know me, never know anything about me, than to know a lot about me and die. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus, to live without Jesus is a terrible thing, but to die without Jesus is a Tragedy greater than the man mind can comprehend. Uh, on the other side of the door of death, hell is waiting.
waiting uh, for the lost soul. Uh, and to die without Jesus uh, means the eternal loss of the soul uh, in the fires of hell. It's true. That's tragedy enough, but hell is a horrible place of suffering. Uh, it's a place of torment. It's real fire. And hell is a place you do not want to go. Jesus literally reached out to Judas to stop him from going to hell. Imagine how he felt. Imagine that. Imagine how he felt today. Today he has done, you understand, that Jesus had not yet died. But today, Jesus had done, has done everything He needs and you need to prevent you from going to hell. And He died on the cross to pay for your sin. He rose from the dead to grant us eternal life. He gave us His Word to tell about the Gospel. He sent His Spirit to convict us of our sins and to draw us to Him. And the only thing that can keep a man, a person, a woman from being saved is... Is that person? The Spirit must draw. I'm a whosoever will, but I'm not a whensoever will. You might not like that, but it's the truth. I'm a whosoever will, but I'm not a whensoever will. Meaning, whosoever can get saved, but whensoever, the Holy Spirit has to draw a man. It's Scripture, John 6, 44. The Holy Spirit has to draw a man. To come to repentance. No man can get to the Father unless the Spirit of God draw him. Is that correct? King James Bible. No, I'm not anything that you want to call me. But I'm telling you this morning. The Spirit of God has to draw a man. You can say, Lord forgive me, Lord forgive me, Lord forgive me, Lord forgive me. Over and over and over again. Lord save me, Lord save me. The Spirit of God has to draw that man. It's the truth. Because if not, I'd, I'd get saved for you. It takes the Spirit of God to get saved. And when He does, you must repent of your sins. Turn, turn from your wicked ways. You must call on Jesus by faith uh, for salvation. And you must come to Him. Don't be like Judas. Don't be like Judas. There's the aspects in the mill. I'm done. I'm beginning to finish. This isn't a useless meal. This has meaning. It has pictures. It has signs. And Jesus used the occasion of the Passover to institute a new covenant. The old covenant that had been enforced since the law was given to Moses revolved around keeping rituals, symbolic sacrifices. And these rituals and sacrifices looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. They did. Who happened to be God's perfect sacrifice? Amen. The new covenant would look back to the finished work of the Messiah. Instead of keeping religious rituals and performing symbolic sacrifices, we rest by faith on what Jesus did when he died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again the third day. And in these verses, I believe Jesus teaches his men and the rest of us that he teaches what the new covenant is all about. He wants us to learn the truth that salvation does not come through religious rituals. It's not, it does not come through demeaning sacrifices. It does not come through any of that. It does not come from keeping the law. It does not come from keeping, coming to church. But salvation comes by receiving what Jesus did for you on Calvary. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved, through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is that. And look what the Lord does. He gives the picturing aspect. Verse number 22, the Bible says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and said, Take eat, this is my body. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. That word many right there hits me hard. Because I know it was shed for everyone in this room. 
There are times when words just aren't enough. You agree with that? There are just times when, when words just aren't enough and, and you just can't help it. The words just aren't going to be enough. And here at the Passover feast, Jesus combines words and symbols and pictures to communicate to his disciples the truth. And the picture Jesus painted that day are powerful. And they continue to speak to us today. We'll look at those for just a second. The meal progressed. Understand? The meal progressed. The head of the family, in, the, in this case with Jesus, would explain what each portion of the feast represented. And so that's what he'd do. So he goes through and he says, this is my body, the bread. The bread represents his body. He said, and as they did eat, Jesus took bread and bread, blessed and break it, gave to them and said, take eat, this is my body. So when he, come, when he came time to serve the bread, Jesus broke it and passed it around to the men at the table. Jewish traditions said this is what they're supposed to say. Jewish traditions said that they're supposed to say, Praised be thou, O Lord, sovereign of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. That's what they should have said. And that was traditional Jewish statement. That was just what, and as, as the bread was taken up, that's the traditional Jewish statement on a Passover. But on this day, Jesus said something different. He's making a new covenant is what I'm saying. New promise. And Jesus says, take eat. This is my body. Jesus equated. He put together the unleavened bread with his body. Think about it. 33 years earlier in a town called Bethlehem or the house of bread, the bread of life was born. He did everything Jesus did, he did in that body. He did in this body. He lived there, he preached there, he worked his miracles in the body. Eventually he would die in that body. He would be buried in that body, he would rise again in that body, he would ascend in that body, and he would come again in that body. You, you see what I'm saying? And when we see him in heaven, we'll see him in that body. Luke chapter 22 verse 19 the Bible says this is my body which is given for you this do in remembrance of me and then Paul quoted it that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 and 24 he said for I have received the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broke for you this do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. Jesus used the bread that night to teach his disciples what he was about to do. You understanding that? He was on his way to Calvary to lay his life down for sin. And he was on his way there where his body would be broken for you. God help us. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we all we like sheep have gone astray. Turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. His body was broken. And Jesus wanted his men and the rest of us to know that his body was broken. His broken body was in importance. And that a piece of unleavened bread. And he wanted us to understand that the only way to have salvation was to become a part of him by receiving what he done in his body thank God I believe that's why he said take eat this is my body we must receive what he did for us amen we must receive for what, what he did for us, friend. And we must, uh, do, we must understand, we must make it our own what he did on the cross. Uh, the Jews never understand in John, John chapter number 6. Uh, they never understood uh, all the types and the symbols uh, and all that. But those who can believe in Jesus Christ uh, and what he accomplished uh, in his body uh, while it was broken on the cross can be saved. That's why we commemorate. Every time 
we partake of the bread. It's true. It's a truth worth remembering, friend. It is. Then there's the wine. Represents his blood. When the time came to drink the cup of of wine, Jesus passed it around to his men at the table. And according to Jewish culture, it says, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave to them. They all drank of it, and he said unto them, This is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for them. According to Jewish culture, he would, he would have needed to say, May the all-merciful one make us worthy of the days of the Messiah and of the life of the world to come. He brings salvation of his king. He shows covenant faithfulness to his anointed. This is what the Jew, Orthodox Jews still say to this day. To David and his seed forever, his make, he makes peace in his heavenly places. May he secure peace for us and for all Israel. And you say, Amen. That's what it says. What are you supposed to say? On that day, Jesus said, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for me. Man, if I don't hit you in the heart, I don't know what to Jesus equated the wine and the cup to his own blood, which was about to be shed on the cross in the next day. The wine and the cup was produced through violence. You'll never make a cup of wine without first crushing the grape. You'll never make a cup of wine without first crushing the grapes. And so the grapes were picked uh, and they were crushed underfoot uh, to extract the juice. Uh, and Jesus was about to be crushed uh, by the full weight uh, of religious Israel and mighty Rome. Uh, he was about to be crushed uh, and they would combine forces to see him dead. Uh, that's what they were doing. Uh, but most importantly, uh, Jesus was about to be crushed by his own father. When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became sin. Every sin you ever committed, I don't care if it's drinking, I don't care if it's drugs, I don't care if it's fornication, I don't care if it's harlotry, whatever it is, he became that sin. That tells me they know sin Jesus can't forgive. They know sinner too far that Jesus can't reach over. And as such, he was judged by God Almighty. Uh, the full force of the awesome wrath of God was poured out on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and this is not a theory, uh, but this is a clear statement in the Word of God. Uh, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The truth, this truth is made clear in numerous places in the New Testament too. The New Testament tells us uh, very clearly in different parts of Scripture. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 uh, and verse number 25, uh, who was delivered for our offenses uh, and was raised again for our justification, uh, just as if I had not sinned. He was raised again for that, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God commendeth His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, uh, the Bible says, For I have delivered unto you, uh, first of all, that which I have also received, uh, how that Christ Jesus... Jesus died for our sins uh, according to the scriptures. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 uh, and verse 21. Uh, the Bible says, For he hath made him uh, to be sin for us uh, who knew no sin, uh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 2. Uh, the Bible says, And walk in love uh, as Christ also has loved us uh, and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice uh, for a sweet smelling savor to God. Uh, that's what it was, friend. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse number 18, the Bible says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened in the spirit. When Jesus was crushed on the cross of Calvary, his precious blood was shed. And when the blood was shed, God was satisfied. All who believe in Jesus for salvation have their sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Friend, they are instantly brought into a new relationship in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying what those sacrifices and what those rituals cannot do. If you'll trust in my body and you'll trust in my blood, I can do it. I can bring you back to a true relationship to God. And this is what we commemorate every time 
we partake of this cup and partake of this bread. Every time the cup reminds us that Jesus took our place on the cross of Calvary, it reminds us that we have been made right with God through His blood. And it reminds us that our sins have been forever washed away. Hallelujah. When we take communion, the bread and the cup come your way. If you're saved and fellowship with the Lord, you ought to be joyous. Joyous. Remember what the Lord Jesus did for you. When He came into this world to die for your sins on the cross. Uh, friend, let the Lord's Supper, let the Lord's Supper be a time of profound worship. It becomes too complacent uh, and too comfortable. Uh, and you, as you meditate, meditate, uh, think about how He loved us while we were sinners. Friend, I'm telling you. It was surely a picturing aspect as he gave them there. It's a promising aspect. I'm about done, I promise. I know I preached a lot longer, but I'm not, I'm not sorry. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his men that he will not drink the fruit of the vine until he does so in his future kingdom. And at that very moment, Jesus is looking down the corridors of time to a day when he will return to this world and establish his kingdom. He is looking at a time when he will put down all of his enemies and make them his footstool. He's looking to a time when he'll rule the world in righteousness. He's looking to a time and Jesus went to the cross with that expectation that he will die and he will come back. He will raise. And I'm telling you, and that was his expectation, and that is exactly what's going to happen one day. Amen. He already came back once, and friend, I'm telling you, he's coming back again. Amen. And guess what? He's coming back again after that too. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. It's a powerful aspect. Amen. I'm done. When they finished the meal, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. When they finished the meal, Jesus and his men sang final psalms, Psalms 115 through 18, and they headed out. And the disciples didn't know what was about to happen. As they were headed to the Mount of Olives, they did not know that in a few short hours, Judas would come walking up with the soldiers. They did not know that before the sun set the next day, that Jesus would be arrested He would be tried, he would be condemned to death, he would be beaten, he would be crucified, and he would be buried. They did not know that. But they left singing a hymn. They did not understand the truth that he was headed to death. They didn't know any of it. But Jesus did. And you think about that. Jesus did. Even though he knew that he was headed for a trap, he went anyways. Even though he knew that Judas would bring a soldier to arrest him, he went anyways. Even though he knew that Israel would reject him at Pilate's Hall, he went anyways. Even though he knew that the people would reject him all over, he went anyways. Even though he knew that Rome would condemn him, he went anyways. Even though he knew that the soldier was going to beat him, he went anyways. Even though he knew that he would be nailed with three nails to the rugged cross in shame and agony, he went anyways. Even though he knew that he was going to pray great teardrops of blood and sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane, he went anyways. Even though he knew he would have to hail by the acre in Gethsemane, he went anyways. Why would a man do that? Well, he did it because it was the only hope that we had. He did it because he loved you. He did it because he loved me. That's why he did it, friend. He did it because he cares. And I, for one, am thankful for that this morning. He did it because he loved you. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth, He displayed His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us. Christ died for us. He died for me. Literally died for me. Friend, I'm telling you, I could never look at the Lord's Supper the same again. I never could. We got to be faithful. We got to be grateful. We got to be filled with love for the Redeemer uh, who paid such a high price. Cost the price of his son. So you could be saved. Friend, it might just be that you would like to just praise him today. Maybe you just want to get saved today. It might just be that you would like to get around the altars and come worship him. We understand we're fixing to partake of this. We are. And uh, 1 Corinthians tells us very clearly a few things. Can I get you to complain? First Corinthians chapter number 11, the Bible says, For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. But there must be also heresies. So there's divisions, there's heresies. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. And one is hungry, and another is drunken. Self-deception, selfishness, drunkenness, indulgence. What have I, have you not houses to eat and to drink in or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus that same night in which he was betrayed took bread. That means so much more to me now. Because the same night he was betrayed, he took bread. We understand what that bread was. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This, is, this cup is the New Testament, my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body of the Lord Jesus and blood of the Lord. Let a man examine himself, so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, they're dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hungry, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation. The rest will I set in order. He tells us very clearly there, there's some sins in the church of Corinth. And those were the sins that would be taken unworthily. According to this, you got the sin there of division, you got the sin of heresy, you got the sin of self-deception, selfishness, indulgence, you got the sin of drunkenness, you got the sin of neglecting of the poor, you got the sin of irrelevance, carelessness in the church, you got all those. But the bottom line is this, it would appear that that having sin in one's heart and life is what is meant by partaking of this unworthily. Understand Jesus paid my debt and he paid it all. Nothing I have to pay, nothing I have to do. Besides confess them. You confess your sins. The Lord, the Bible says, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Listen, these altars are open right now. I'm just telling you this. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our righteousness. I tell you the truth this morning. There is simply the sin of rejection. How can anyone be counted worthy? Since our only worthiness can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is only when we are counted worthy by Him that we are found worthy to partake of the Lord's Supper. It's in His eyes, friend. 
Be obedient this morning. fact is this morning that Jesus will do the changing. Jesus does the work in a man. Jesus does the work in a woman. Oftentimes we want to look at things and we want to say, Lord, I can't do this. Because of whatever reason it may be. That's because we're trusting too much in ourselves. He's the one alone that does the work. Salvation, He's the one that changes. We'll never be able to take the scars of my old life off of me. I'll never be able to take the scars of my old life off of me. Never will I ever be able to take the scars of my old life. But friend, I'm telling you, that's not what He does. He doesn't take scars away. He just takes the guilt of those scars away. That's how he works. There's nothing like Jesus. I don't want you to ever miss out on what he could do in your life. I don't want anybody in this church to miss out on what he could do in your life. Being a Christian don't mean I'm perfect means I try Lord we love you Lord we pray in the name of Jesus God this morning that you'd help us Lord as we move in this service Lord help each one of us this morning Lord to be discernment have have central discernment Lord on what we need Help us, dear God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, if there be any lost in here this morning, I pray, God, that you would work in their hearts and save them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would be with each person, Lord, from little to big, Lord, that you would help us, God, to be obedient to you. Lord, you've been good to us. We're forever thankful for that. We're forever grateful for that. I ask you, dear God, in the name of Jesus, to help us this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you.